This is part one of the two-part story, A Treasure Map is Trying to Kill Me, written by Aaron Robbins. This episode is intended for daring ears nine and older. On a scale where one is not scary at all, the kids' scare score for this episode is a six out of ten. Welcome to Mr Eerie's Mystery Series. My name is Edward Eerie, head of Mr Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. If you've experienced something odd or unusual, or become distraught by something damp or disturbing, give us a ring and leave a message on the machine. We'd be glad to give you advice on all matters of gloom. What you're about to hear is from the Disturbing Detective Agency's Unsettling Archive, and is intended to help you understand the type of encounters we are qualified to navigate. Please note, while my answering machine alters the age and tone of the caller's voice, the contents of the message are undisturbed. For further information, please visit us using the communications handle at Mr. Eerie's series or by pointing your browsing apparatus to the address MrEeriesMysterySeries.com And now, a mysterious message left on my machine. Thank you for calling Mr. Eerie's Disturbing Detective Agency. Please leave a detailed account of your odd or unusual occurrence. Be sure to include a postal address so further information or instructions can reach you free of eavesdropping ears. We are proud to announce the Disturbing Detective Agency is now offering same-day service on all haunts and encounters with hobgoblins. Please allow a week for correspondence related to the supernatural. If this message is related to time travel, a reply is already waiting for you at the nearest postal station. Thank you again for trusting Mr. Eerie with your terrifying tale or qualifying conundrum. I sure hope this is the right number because I have a big problem. And Mr. Eerie, I could really use your help. My name is Mark, Mark Wright. I live in Melody Bay. It's a small seaside town with an even smaller downtown. We don't get much sun here, but we have plenty of mist, fog, and of course, tons of seagulls. Sometimes I think the only way to tell the difference between day and night is by the sound of those foul birds. A mewing sound means it's morning. Squawking is saved for the afternoon, and cooing sounds rule the night. I'm in the eighth grade, and I don't think I've ever seen a sunset. Can you believe that? I've also never been to a different school. Yep, that's right. Melody Bay is so small, we only have one school. The Melody Bay All-Grades School, home of the Bilge Pumps. You heard me right. Our school mascot is the Bilge Pumps. Imagine being named after a tool that pumps water from the lowest part of a ship. Legend has it the school buildings were paid for by an old man who made pumps for even older ships. The legend also says that old man went crazy. I guess he tried to make a foot-operated pump out of old organ billows, took his invention out to sea flooded his ship intentionally, and was never seen again. So there you go, the Melody Bay Bilge Pumps. That's my school's mascot. Anyway, I'm in the 8th grade at Melody Bay, and more importantly, I'm in a band. We're called 12 O'Clock Soda Pop. 
Our first drummer, Danny, wasn't allowed to have sugary drinks until afternoon. But he loved pop, so he was always asking what time it was. If it was afternoon when he asked, I'd always say, it's 12 o'clock soda pop time. So that's what we named our band. You may have heard of our song, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Of course you have. It's the one that goes, dead men tell no tales because they don't have any lungs. Dead men tell no tales because lies are only sung. Dead men tell no tales because their mouths are missing heads. So if you hear a dead man's tale, rest in peace, for you are already dead. Anyway, being in a band is what led me to leave you this message. I'm in trouble, big trouble, or I will be. If you don't tell me what to do, you see, we have this thing called Battle of the Melody Bay Bands. It's a big deal if you win. It means you might get out of this town, out from under the constant fog and sounds of seagulls. So I entered 12 o'clock soda pop into the Battle of the Bay, and I just knew we were going to win. Finally, people around town were going to know that I was too big to be trapped in this place. To win Battle of the Bay Bands, you have to have a good song. No, a perfect song, and I was pretty sure I had one. One day, we were practicing this perfect song. It was after school in our new drummer's garage. Out of nowhere, this girl, who I'd never seen at school before, comes up and says something like, you know, you should really use drop tuning for that song. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. She didn't like that reply because the next thing I know, she's storming towards me, arms outreached. Her hands were headed for my neck, and I thought, this girl is going to strangle me. Right here in front of 12 o'clock soda pop, she reached for my neck, but instead of grabbing it, she pulled the guitar strap from around my shoulders and took my guitar. Here, she says, let me show you. She had black nail polish on every other finger, fingers that she was now using to twist the tuning knobs on my guitar. Um, hello, I said. Instead of acknowledging me, she gave my band a four count and started to play. One and a two and a three and a four. And they were off playing my perfect song with a slightly deeper tuning. I got to admit she was good. Annoying, sure, but good. This black nail-polished new kid had only heard a few seconds of my song, but played it all the way through like she'd heard it a million times before. How do you know our song? I asked. For a moment, I thought maybe she was a fan. Maybe she stalked our practices and was coming forward to profess her love for 12 o'clock soda pop. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. She took the guitar off and handed it back to me. I can just figure songs out, she said. I hear a little and can figure out how the rest probably goes. I have to admit, I was impressed. Without even talking to my bandmates, I asked the new girl if she wanted to play the Battle of the Bay Bands with us. Why? she asked. I thought my answer sounded poetic. So, you can be counted among the best musicians in Melody Bay. Cheesy, I know. This new girl turned to me, looked me right in the eyes and said, The best musician count in Melody Bay is one, and that one is me. With that, she turned and started walking away. She stopped a few feet later and turned back. Besides, she said, I'm already in the contest as a solo act. I have to tell you, I really didn't like this girl. So, naturally, I asked around about her. You'll never believe me when I tell you this, but her name was Madonna. Just kidding. Her name was Cassidy Gray. She was from somewhere, middle of the country, someplace with nothing to do but ruin other people's band practice. I smiled a little when I heard her parents opened a used music store on Princeton Street. That's funny because Princeton Street is on the outskirts of town. It's an industrial wasteland. You know what they have a lot of out on Princeton Street? Crab fishermen, crab pots, and crab netting, and of course, seagulls. You know what they don't have a lot of? Musicians. 
Good luck staying in business, I thought. It wasn't a nice thought, but she wasn't a nice girl. That night I had trouble sleeping. As I tossed and turned to the sound of seagulls cooing, which sounds a lot like the phrase, hey you, by the way, a terrible thought occurred to me. I was thinking about Cassidy and how easily she picked up my perfect song. Maybe my song was too basic, too obvious, and Cassidy knows it now and could easily write something better than it. You can't have your enemy know your notes, it's just not good band business. Just then, I had an idea. And at that exact same time, thunder crashed outside my window. It wasn't a prophetic thunderclap. At least, I don't think it was. I live in Melody Bay. We get thunder, it's like sirens in the city, or so I've been told. The thought I had was this, 12 o'clock soda pop, needs a new song. A song Cassidy Gray has never heard. A song Cassidy Gray couldn't pick up and play like it were Hot Cross Buns or Three Blind Mice, which are the same song, by the way. My new mission was not to see a sunset or figure out a way to prevent seagulls from doing business all over my bike. It was to beat Cassidy Gray at Battle of the Melody Bay Bands. The next day at school, I started thinking of ideas for a new song. Periods one and two went by without the slightest hint of inspiration. In period three, math, I thought I had something. In period four, language arts, I realized it was the theme song to a TV show my parents watch. I spent most of lunch alone trying to figure out some combination of notes to build a hit song from. Nothing came to me. Then, after lunch, it happened. Finally, it happened. You know when you've been fishing off Lawson's Pier all day without a bite, and just as you're about to reel in something big hits? Well, it was just like that. I was walking down the hall past the library, and something entered my head. I didn't know if it was something good at first, so I stopped and put my hand to my ear. I'm sure it looked like I was receiving some sort of special message from aliens, but I wasn't. I was trying to block out noise so I could hear my inner thoughts. And when I covered my ears, there it was, inside me, a perfect little tune. I didn't know what the notes in my head were. This is probably as good a time as any to tell you. I can't read music. I mean, I can a little, but not the way someone like Cassidy Gray probably can. In situations like this, when there's a tune in your head but you don't know the notes, there is only one thing you can do. Hum it, over and over again. You hum that song until you can get home and record it. Then you match it to notes on a piano or keyboard and you're golden. The problem was, I was at school, with three periods remaining. And that meant one thing for sure. I had a lot of humming to do. History was my last class of the day. As the bell rung for the period to start, I was still humming away. I'd managed to use hand gestures to communicate for the previous two periods. It was tough. I resorted to a lot of thumb-based signs, golf claps, and the occasional shrug. History, however, was going to be a breeze to get through. Mrs. Carlson's lessons plans consisted mostly of silent reading. But as I walked into class and plopped my backpack down at my desk, my heart froze. On the desk in front of me, I saw fingernails, black fingernails, tapping away in four-four time. They were the black fingernails of Cassidy Gray. For crying out loud, I thought. You've got to be kidding me. I made it all day humming the perfect tune. And now, 47 minutes before the bell rings, I find my sworn music enemy sitting within an easy earshot of my tune. I didn't know what to do. So I kept humming and sat in an empty seat as far away from Cassidy Gray as I could. The plan would have worked to if Lenny Burl had been absent that day. But he wasn't. Lenny Burl is the biggest kid at Melody Bay School, and mind you, the school goes up to 12th grade. 
He's also the person whose seat I sat in. I felt a large hand on my shoulder and looked up to find Lenny towering over me with a frown. Please move, he said. I smiled, gave him a thumbs down, and kept humming. Mark, he said. If you do not vacate my seat, I will have no choice but to file a formal complaint with Mrs. Carlson. I'd actually never talked to Lenny before, too scared to. I was surprised at how kind and well-spoken his request was. It almost made me want to get up and give him back his seat, but I couldn't. I had to keep the tune fresh in my head, and I had to keep it away from Cassidy Gray. I gave Lenny another thumbs down, followed by a shrug and a smirk that said, Sorry, man, there's nothing I can do. He turned and walked toward Mrs. Carlson, who was already erasing the whiteboard in preparation for the end of the day. Lenny said something to her and pointed in my direction. I couldn't hear what, but a second later, I could definitely hear Mrs. Carlson's reply. Mark Wright, please take your normal and assigned seat. I pretended to take things out of my backpack, hoping to sell the idea I was too busy to hear the request. Mark Wright, there was no request this time. Just my name and in the same tone my mom uses when I track mud through the house. I played it cool, looking around as if it were the first time I'd ever heard my name and was confused as to what happened next. Mr. Wright, move to your assigned seat, now. Honestly, at this point in the day what happened next was habit. Instinct, you might say. Without thinking, I raised my hand and turned it thumb down while smiling. Mrs. Carlson took a hard step toward me and pointed at the classroom door. Mr. Wright, principal's office, now. The class went dead quiet. Everyone looked at me. Was I going to obey Mrs. Carlson or stay seated in some sort of hum rebellion? Lenny Burrell broke the silence with what could best be described as an excellent example of de-escalation. All right, class, we are going to study an important history topic today, and we want to thank Mrs. Carlson for preparing it. Mark is going to leave in order to chat with Principal Ralston, and I'm sure he'll be back very soon, ready to dive into today's topic. So let's bring our attention back to the front of class, because we are about to be taken back in time to learn some fascinating lessons from those who came before us. Lenny was a pro, and I was in trouble. So much trouble. I walked the hallways of Melody Bay towards Principal Ralston's office. Office? More like a closet. Ted Ralston, in addition to being the school's principal, is also the school librarian and track coach. He's a busy man, hardly has time to sit down. This is why I wasn't too concerned about being sent to his office. The chances of him being there were small. He was probably in the parking lot chatting with parents or in the backfield setting up cones. And here was my logic. Feel free to correct me if you think it's wrong. Mrs. Carlson told me to go to the principal's office. She didn't say stay in the principal's office or talk to Principal Ralston in his office. Sure, Lenny said I was going to chat with the principal, but Lenny's not the teacher. In my book, all I had to do was enter the principal's office. If he wasn't there, then that was on him. I decided to go through the library. Mr. Ralston's office has two doors, one from the library and one from the front office. The front office would be a flurry of activity, so I snuck my way through the library. It was empty. Still, I didn't dare make a sound. In the back, I found the principal's closet door. It had a black plaque taped to it that read, Ted Ralston, principal, librarian, coach of the running bilge pumps. I gave the door a faint knock and then cracked it open slowly. When I'd opened it just wide enough, I stuck my head inside to have a peek. Bingo! It was empty. I opened the door all the way and stepped inside. There, I thought. I fulfilled my end of the deal. Time to head back to class, or better, head home. Then something awful occurred to me. Something horrible. 
I hadn't been humming the song for several minutes, ever since I entered the library. How'd it go again? I couldn't remember. I was so busy wondering if I was going to get in trouble and maybe not be allowed in battle of the bands that I forgot the very song I was writing for it. I was about to let out a very cinematic yelling of the word, no, probably would have even shook my fists in the air. But just then, the other door's handle, the one that comes in from the front, I heard it click and watched it begin to turn. I leapt back through the library door and kicked it closed with my foot. I landed hard on the floor and rolled right into a book rack. The rack rocked back, threatening to fall over and alert anyone in the principal's office to my presence. So I pushed up with my feet and steadying the book rack with my back, it wobbled and then finally settled into a stable position. I took a long breath and just as I began to let it out, a piece of paper floated down from the book rack landing on the floor in front of me. A falling piece of paper is a pretty common occurrence at a school, but this paper was different. It was old, stained in yellow and brown. It was more like parchment than paper and it landed face down. At least I thought it was face down because it appeared to be completely blank. I took to my feet and then bent over to retrieve the paper from the floor. It was a little larger than a standard line sheet of school paper but weighed twice as much. Other than its weight, there wasn't anything remarkable about it. At least that's what I thought until I flipped it over. And when I did, my heart stopped. Like, I think it actually stopped for a second. Because what I saw on the other side stunned me cold. Thirteen musical notes on a faded staff. Now, I can't read music, at least not well. But when I looked at the notes and where they were on the stave, they seemed familiar. And this might sound crazy, but I was pretty sure they were the notes to the song I'd been humming. The notes that were going to beat Cassidy Gray. The notes that were going to help me escape Melody Bay. Sorry for this interruption. It appears the answering machine ran out of tape at this point in the message. Don't worry, a loud beep and short message plays when this happens, informing callers their message has stopped recording and asking them to call back and continue their message in a few hours. To hear the next tape in this message, please play the next episode of Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series. And while that concludes another message from Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series, it's not the end of our appointment. I am pleased to announce that our detective agency is now accepting new recruits. Your first step to becoming a eerie enlistee is to leave a five-star rating of this message or, if you prefer, a written review. If you're ready to move up to the eerie explorer status, please visit MrEerie'sMysterySeries.com for more information or engage with our communications handle at MrEerie'sSeries. Thank you for listening. We wish you an undisturbing day. My name is Aaron Robbins, and I'm the writer and creator of Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series. I hope you enjoyed part one of episode one, and that you'll consider tuning in to see how the story concludes in episode one, part two. If you'd like to connect with me or learn more about Mr. Eerie's Mystery Series, the best thing to do is to head over to MrEerie'sMysterySeries.com. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for part two of episode one.